Fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two hundred and forty-eight of Forty Going On Fourteen. I am Michael. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And they say that money can't buy love. However, money can buy dogs. Just pretty much love. Unconditional. It yes. a jet ski. Tell you that. Ever see somebody sat on a jet ski? <laughs> do, do you love the jet ski? Can no, the jet ski bring you your newspaper? The right attachment. Anyway, well, welcome to the Beatles show. Thanks for getting us down this road, Mike. What? <laughs> Mike's fault. All yep. right. Four, I, I stopped five. listening. I'm not even sure what we're blaming him for. <laughs> it's like, well, whatever it is, it's probably right. So... There you go. Uh, so yeah, love don't can't buy me love versus love don't me cost a thing. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I just finished watching that movie and I got issues with things. So the can't buy me love show because reasons. Because <laughs> we don't do enough romantic comedies. This this show this episode makes me feel like Olive Oil's dad. Somebody owes me an apology. If you like apologies. You might find a few on the Podcast Collective. At one point or another, there's a lot of shows. They're not coming from me. Such as On the Block, Dating Baggage, I Am Salt Lake, Tales from the Hard Side, The Dog and Do Show, and of course, The Red Dad Radio Hour. Has a Red Dad Radio Hour made any new shows? I hope so. I'd hate to feel that. Red Dead Radio Hour, Season 2, Episode 1, New Year, New You. I don't think that's a new show. It's the curse of the left field sports lounge. Yeah. As soon as we, as soon as we give something the endorsement. Yeah, we're like the Eye of Sauron, except instead of making you <laughs> we get your show canceled. What I don't know. What is happening? <laughs> I don't know. I've got bad analogies. I think I'm having an aneurysm. Because <laughs> I don't remember the Eye of Sauron, like, passing out cookies and things. <laughs> The director's cut. Each movie is four hours. It's all those damn all cookies. All those damn cookies. All right. So if you want some more cookies, our old stuff is on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM, and other podcasting directories online. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727, and newly updated Geek Life Radio, 12 noon on Saturdays. Listen to our shows then. Any voicemails? Oh. Yes. <laughs> Guess who forgot to download the voicemails? We had all this. I, mean, I bet his left doesn't rhyme with Osh. No. <laughs> You'd be wrong. So, Joel, what's new with you on the Coffin Joe cast? Uh, the Coffin Joe cast has been on hiatus for about three months. So, nothing new to report there, unfortunately. But, hopefully, Killawoba and I will be back on the air soon. Check out his new show, Updog. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> not again. <laughs> Fool no. me once. Shame okay, on me. Fool me twice. Trying to upload again. it. <laughs> Won't get fooled again. But uh, Sunshine Happy Pants Hour is still going, and, and of course, Forty Going on 14. Yeah. Things Forty Going on 14 still going? As far as yeah, I know. Last time I checked. Just not very quickly right now. My bad. So we've been talking. Oh, we're, we're, we're doing some excellent stalling. Don't worry. Yeah, we've got some. We got some great ideas for episode two hundred and fifty. It's coming up quick. Yeah, two more shows. So those are coming up, and I uh, definitely would say please keep in tune, and uh, we will explain a little bit more for next week on uh, next week's show. 
Yeah, we're going to have to, you know, we're doing something real interesting. We hope. We hope, yeah. Yeah, we hope. It'll either be really interesting or a amazing crash and burn that'll make uh, the Peter Pan show look like amazingly good stuff. (laughs) Uh, The voicemail is uploaded, so. Hey, looks like it's Luke. Yes, it is. All right, let's go. Hello, 40 going on 14. This is Luke from Chicago. I have been on an extended vacation and have been starting to catch up on the show a little bit, and I have listener feedback. Um, let's do like the, uh, the DuckTales episode. I was yeah, super excited for that to come back too and been happy with it. Um, Glomgold apparently isn't also played by David Tennant. It's played by Craig Ferguson, which is even more awesome. Um, I don't know if, if any of you watched it, but Darkwing actually did show up. I'm like a big Darkwing fan from back in the day, too. So he did show up, but in an unexpected way. So if you saw it, I'm curious about what you uh, what you think about it. Um, and about the coffee show, um, the real problem I've been having lately is that, that extended vacation was in Italy, and so I get back, and all the coffee here tastes like shit because I'm so used to, like, you know, the Italian uh, cappuccino in the morning and then espresso during the day, and it's just... It's hard. It's hard going back, man. Um, Mike, the symptoms you're describing sound like cocaine, and I'm wondering, would it actually be more efficient for you to just take cocaine instead of that much coffee? Um, it might actually be healthier. I don't. I don't know. But it sounds like the result is basically uh, is basically the same. Um, also, from a while back, definitely very into the idea of um, of tiki. Tiki drinks, tiki bar. We should definitely make that happen. Uh, all right, I'm gonna try to do an accent. Butts to the front. Eh? So bad. Anyway, bye. <laughs> nice, Luke, bringing back butts to the front. Holy cow, that's been a while since we've heard that. What was I he was gonna say? I think that was Italian. Oh. Yeah, because he was I, in Italy. There was there was Woody Allen doing Italian. <laughs> that poor See, Italian. Now I want to go back and watch more Ducktales to he catch the Darkwing moment. Now I want to find some cocaine. Yeah, I was gonna say you don't want to do. You don't want cocaine. You watch how it's made, and yeah, and part of, part of the process is is gasoline. What to get the the trucks to deliver it, right? No. <laughs> the thing yeah. is, is, if he tries it once, he'll want it. That's true. Now I want to try cocaine. I got a, a friend of mine that I, I, that I don't know if he stole this from somewhere or what, but he used to say, uh, "He's like, I don't really care for cocaine. I just like the smell of it." <laughs> uh, well, see, I know that from an Uncle Cracker song. Something I am not not proud to admit. <laughs> That's funny. I have that CD. Funny Ooh. both that it's not original and that you called that. Well, as a wise man once said, if you want to get down, get down on the ground. Cocaine. All right, fuck you guys. That's. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I actually just read a snarky tweet about that. I was thinking about if I should tell my Clapton joke. So. Oh, oh no, not no. <laughs> I know that <laughs> joke. A great joke, but it's not air suitable. <laughs> Which is saying something, considering some of the shit we've said on the air. True story. <laughs> so yeah, Josh, you think it's about that time? It's definitely about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. All right, so this week is August 14th, 1987, the release of the first Can't Buy Me Love. All right, so music. The number one song in the land was I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For by U2. I like U2 back then. Oh, I like U2. Aw. Aw. Love. I've never liked U2. Well, which one don't you do you like? 
Yeah. Well, he doesn't like you two, and there's three of us, so he has to like one of us. Well, it's not you or me, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I win. I like Bono. Wait. <laughs> Nobody likes Bono. Nobody likes Bono. Not even his mom. Mama. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We've all known each other too long. Uh, Mama. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't say mine because that's so much better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm dying over here. (laughs) Oh, so the top selling album of 1987, Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet, was released August 16th. That's crazy. It's a great album, though. Yep. Indeed. And finally, in music, Gary Chester, born Cesaro Gert. Chiulo? He's Italian. But I think it's I have some Luke and in, in, in pronounce that name. Butts to the front. Uh, <laughs> was a legendary studio drummer, author, and teacher. His work appears on thousands of tracks, including hundreds of hit records from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. He logged over 15,000 studio sessions over three decades, as well as being the drummer for The Eleven Spoonful and the studio drummer for The Monkees. Beginning with Doo-wop and rhythm and blues recordings, Chester then showed a great knack for rock, folk rock, rockabilly, and pop. The list of songs he played on is impressive in length and greatness. On August 17th, he played his last drum break and was absorbed. This dude has a resume that, that like no almost no one can touch. He's one he's one of like the, the founding pyramids of, of early rock and roll music and Motown. I looked him up. He looks like Charles Bronson. <gasps> I gotta look him up now. But his, you know, his resume. If you look, uh, look at just some of the songs he was on. Holy cow! Yeah. Starting out, his first, first one was Charlie Brown by the Coasters. <clears throat> That's crazy. He did a lot of stuff for the Drifters, the Coasters, um, a lot of, lot, a lot of Motown stuff, a lot of Dion early Warwick. rock and roll stuff. He, he, he was the drummer on Bad Bad Leroy Brown and uh, Don't Mess Around with Jim. Huh. Nice. Yeah, this guy has been in Do You Believe in Magic? He was a drummer for that, for the Love and Spoonfuls. Mm-hmm. I mean, of, just crazy, crazy. He was a drummer on Sugar Sugar by the Archies. Hey, that ties in nicely. That's crazy. Do, 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 do. <laughs> All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was the Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez joint Stakeout. I recall enjoying this movie, but I don't think I want to go back and clarify it. It's 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 gonna be it would be very dated, I think, for right. sure. Well, yeah. I mean, Emilio Estevez. At least it would, at least it's not Stakeout Two, where you have to deal with uh, Rosie O'Donnell Ugh. in lingerie. Ah. to Eden. Oh, okay, good. Well, I don't know, I don't know, good or bad, but no, definitely <laughs> bad. I'm gonna go with bad. <laughs> Another uh, other movies released this week included promotion right there. Sorry. <laughs> other movies released this week included Disorderlies, The Monster Squad, No Way Out, and Born in East LA. Monster Squad. Do a Born in East LA show. God. <laughs> Who would do a Cheech and Chong show? We do Born in East LA and then straight out of Compton. I mean, we've talked about doing all the pothead movies as a show. True. It's that's one of those ideas that's been in the show notes for ages. Yeah, so was uh, "Can't Buy Me Love," but no, this was a new idea. Oh, it was. Oh yeah, this oh. Yep. 
I blame Joel. I, nope. It's not my fault. That's totally my fault. That's all right. Raquel Torres was a Mexican-born American film actress who appeared as an exotic love interest in many films in the early days of Hollywood. In her last movie, The Marx Brothers' Duck Soup, it was Raquel to whom Groucho delivered his classic line, I could dance with you until the cows came home. On second thought, I'd rather dance with the cows until you came home. <laughs> she died of a heart attack on August 10th. Aw. Favorite Marx Brothers movie? Horse Feathers. A Day at the Races. Duck Soup. Not Duck at the Soup op- is probably my second. Not at the opera. Wow, we've all got a different one? That's fun. Mine was sort of a knee-jerk reaction, because it was actually kind of difficult for me to decide which one was favorite. Well, the Tootsie Fritzie ice cream is probably my favorite uh, Groucho and Chico scene, where he keeps selling them the code books to figure out what the, the, the winning race. That's, like that's one a my, great scene. That's, that's one of my favorite Marx Brothers skits. Yeah, See, and I, I love the scene where um, Harpo's shoveling the books into the fireplace. Yeah. <laughs> See, I like, I like the whole scene about no sanity clause. Oh, that's a really good bit. You can't fool me. There ain't no sanity clause. <laughs> Is and I think uh, Not at the Opera also has uh, the swordfish one too, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, yes. A twofer. Uh, no, that's horse feathers. Is it horse feathers? Pretty sure. Wait, which are you talking about the the speakeasy? Yeah. Yeah, that's horse feathers. Horse feathers. Okay. Oh wait. But still, oh. regardless. I wish there was a comedy troupe that would even be comparable to the Marx Brothers that we can do a then and now for. There really isn't. No, thankfully there were no. Island. <laughs> what? That's, that was a joke. Oh. We flew here. We ran out of gas, so we came home. <laughs> uh, TV. Yes. Uh, the top shows in the land are the Cosby Show, A Different World, Cheers, and the acronym of the week, which is TGG. Pretty sure that's uh, Terry Gilliam's gonads. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Eric Idle. That would be trippy as shit. <laughs> I actually think TGG has been the acronym of the week before, but probably. But I didn't. You know, I got. I got lazy. Yeah. Well, it's a Golden Girls because eighties. Yep. Yeah. For being a fan. Uh, you know, I've never seen an entire episode of the Golden Girls. What is wrong with you? It's I don't he, like it. I don't. I don't enjoy it. It's because he it gets dehydrated halfway through. That was a masturbation joke. Right yeah, there. I guess. Okay. You'd think we were talking about Blanche, but it's actually Sophia. <laughs> I was thinking about Estelle Getty all day long. And you're going to love the next one, then. On August 10th, Clara Peller, eh, commercial actress famous for her f- catchphrase, Where's the Beef?, dies at 86 years of age. What <laughs> a death perception so far. Yeah. On August 19th, ABC News Chief Middle East Correspondent. That's an interesting... Charles Glass, anyway. News chief Middle East correspondent. Ah. Escaped his Hezbollah kidnappers in Beirut, Lebanon, after 62 days in captivity. He left. He escaped by creating a ragtag camel costume. <laughs> it's like Iron Man. The Iron Man he ate. That's hard to say. <laughs> well, like Copper Man. Camel Did man. you just make up the bit about the uh, camel costume? Yes. Yes. Okay. Are you, please tell me you looked that up. No, I, I was just like, I went back to the show notes because I was on a different tab. I was like, did that say that? Yeah, I was just waiting <laughs> to see if we let it hang there and see if anybody looked it up. I was I was a fan of just letting it hang there. If he yeah. did, if he did escape that way, good on you, sir. And Mike's delivery was pretty spot on. Sports. Moving on, yes. <laughs> Sports. On August 13th, Jackie Joyner Kersey tied the world record with an amazing... 24 foot, five and a half inch long jump. Jesus. He's a piece. That is, that is crazy pants. 
Tim Tebow, American NFL player, was born August 14th. Wait a second. I, I mean, that's... I'm sorry. If that was vertical, I mean, I'm just vertically, that would be jumping on the roof of my house. Yeah. Wow, when you put it in that perspective, it's even more impressive. It's, it's like jumping the length of a limo. <laughs> that's crazy, Pants. She's got mad hops. <laughs> Don't ever say that again. She's got mad hops. Oh, my God. On August 9th, in the first NFL Expo game held overseas... The L.A. Rams beat the Dallas Cowboys 28-27 in London, England. Hooray! The 69th PGA Championship was held in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida from August 6th to August 9th. In hot and windy conditions, Larry Nelson won his second PGA Championship at a sudden-death playoff over Lanny Watkins. It was Nelson's third and final major title. And now we got sudden death. Is there something you need to tell us, Patrick? On August 18th, one of the NFL's most impressive running backs of all time, Earl Campbell of the Houston Oilers, retired. Boom, no ba- boom. He didn't die. He's no still death. alive. But there is a mention of some sort of death in every one. Nice. Well, I do what I do. Well played, sir. All right. So that is this weekend, August 14th, 1987. Take us out, Keyboard Joel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right. So can't buy me love. In 1987, uh, American teen romantic comedy starring Patrick Dempsey and Amanda Peterson. Story about a nerd in a high school in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, one Ronald Miller, who's tired of being a nerd. Who isn't? Uh, he makes a deal with I'm one. Not, of, what's that? I was answering your question. Me. Oh, I'm okay. Not, yeah. not well, tired. Good on you. Well, I am tired, but yeah, well, never mind. Being a being a tired nerd. Yes. Okay. So he makes a deal with one of the most popular girls in school to help him break into the cool clique and offers her a thousand dollars in to pay for a new white suede dress that she got ruined uh, to pretend to be his girlfriend for a month. He soon succeeds and learns eventually that the price of popularity is higher than he expected. It wants its payment in blood. <laughs> That'd be a totally different movie. <laughs> Who would that be when like, it turns out that he's like, there's actually like a cult? All right. So anyway, Patrick Dempsey as Ronald Miller, which we played the game of pause it when Patrick was on the screen and then say to the family, what do you know him from? Right. So he's uh, Mc, McDreamy, McSteamy, McDLTMy. I don't know. Whatever. He's not McSteamy, just McDreamy. They're two different characters. I did show you guys that. Grey's Anatomy was the number one in terms of hours watched on my Netflix stats. Oh, no, I know who he was. I just wanted to make the McDonald's. Ah, yes. It failed. Well, the, <laughs> the girls recognized him from being an Enchanted. Ah, oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, so, yeah, so he's in that. And then there is Amanda Peterson as Cindy Mancini. Uh, she's dead. I oh, what she died. Yep, died of a drug overdose, a prescription drug after her hysterectomy. She kind of fucked uh, up her pain meds. Wow. But yeah, this was just a couple of years ago. I mean, her career was over long before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, post this, she just did a bunch of TV, some Doogie Howser, and something called Hell Hath No Fury. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so that's sad. Uh, Tina Caspare as Barbara, Darcy DeMoss as Patty, uh, Court McQuinn as Quint, um, not Quint, sorry, uh, getting to another character, Eric Brooke Strutter as Big John, and Gerardo Mea as Ricky, Courtney Gaines as Kenneth Werman. Another chord. Seth Green, a very, very small Seth Green as Chuck <laughs> Miller. 
Uh, Sharon Farrell as Mrs. Mancini, Dennis Dugan as David Miller, Cloyce Murrow as Judy Miller, Dennis Vasquez as Iris, Devin, sorry, Amy Dolans as Fran, Will Hanna as camera salesman, and Lisa Givens as Bambi LeBrock. We shouldn't pass over uh, Dennis Dugan, no. who uh, famously from uh, the uh, was it Twisted Sister, yes, video. We're not going to take it. Oh yeah, which one? I forgot which one was the um, the redheaded kid. Courtney Gaines. Courtney Gaines. Yes, Do you recognize Courtney Gaines? Yeah, Children of the Corn. Okay. He who walks behind the rose. Try uh, actually the one that we recognize him from, um, the Burbs. Oh, uh, he yeah. plays he plays Pinocchio. And uh, Amy Dolans is the daughter of Mickey Dolans of the Monkees. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, there's lots of lots of B list here outside well, of and- Patrick Dempsey. Eric Brookstadter is one of those guys that you know him from a lot of movies, but you don't know him like you wouldn't know his name. <laughs> but yeah, another one of the uh, character actor type things. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he was the the catcher in Major League and Major League Two. Mm-hmm. Starship Troopers he was in. Quantum Leap. Yep. He played Bo. Yeah. So good on him. So some trivia. The original title of the movie was Boy Rents Girl. It's a terrible title. Which is an awful title. Uh, yeah, I mean, very literal. Yeah, he, they're not wrong, but they're not right. Not going to sell very many tickets to that. Boy meets girl, boy rents girl. Well, <laughs> I, I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, boy if they, if it was girl, boy rents girl, they get all these people that are like, this is not what I expected. Boy leases girl with an option to buy. That's yeah. a joke I was trying to make. <laughs> boy repossesses girl. That's not how it works. Girl gets towed. I don't. I don't know. All right. So the film was shot on location in Tucson, Arizona, at Tucson High Magnet School, then known as Tucson High School. <laughs> Choreography in this movie is done by Paula Abdul, who makes an uncredited appearance as a dancer. Huh. So she did the uh, the anteater dance. Yes. Yes. The African anteater dance. Yeah. Uh, in two, 2006, it ranked number 41 on an Entertainment Weekly's list of the 50 best high school movies. Which one of my favorite lines in the whole movie was when he first does the dance and the two girls are standing there talking to each other. And they're talking about, oh. I think he's special. Is he, oh, oh, he's in special ed. Yeah. Uh, I left. Yes. So, um, actress Amanda Peterson was only 15 years old during filming and actor Patrick Dempsey was 20. Holy shit. Wow. Uh, Amanda Peterson's family claims that she has a traumatizing experience on the set at 15 that later, later led to her problems before her death. Huh. Paralyzing fear of lawnmowers. There was some kind of accusations of rape. I can't really find much more than that. Uh, I thought it was maybe the farts in the back of the car. Big John's farts. Yeah. 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 Pretty traumatizing. I don't yeah. necessarily know if it happened on the set of this movie, um, but it happened, you know, when she was 15. That's mm. crazy. Trying to keep this light and amusing. Uh, the scene That's where crazy. Cindy and Ronald jump the perimeter wall and explore the Regeneration Group aircraft boneyard was yeah, shot at. That what? sounds like it was mashed through a some kind of language translator. I just cut and paste these. Okay. I know. Uh, was shot at Bob's Air Park, an aircraft recycler just outside the Boneyard, which has since been sold. So don't go there looking for your Can't Buy Me Love photographs. Wait, I think that was my first band, Regeneration Group Aircraft Boneyard? (laughs) (laughs) 
title of your next uh, title of your latest uh, podcast. <laughs> yep, the names get longer. Uh, the film was done non-union, much to the dismay of the Screen Actors Guild, who sent representatives to the set to dissuade the students at the high school from being extras. While their plan to sabotage the film ultimately failed, the students in the school's drama club decided not to participate. Stand of solidarity with SAG. Yeah. <laughs> they appreciate it, I'm sure. The acting level across the board just got better in that movie. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. People, man. So, is this the I'm first... From, yeah. We're not going to do the anteater dance. <laughs> See? We want $10 <laughs> and gift cards. Um. <laughs> so, is this the first viewing for any of us? No. Nope. Is this the first viewing in, oh my God, such a long time for any of us? Yes. Not really, no. I saw it maybe like five, six years ago, maybe. Yep, I'm probably in about the same. Yeah, It was on TV once and I just left it on. Probably closer to 10 for yeah, me. Probably more for me. Um, so, yeah. This was one of the family favorites, so I've seen it a few times. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I've seen it. This is probably the third time maybe I've seen it, maybe fourth. I've seen it about a half a dozen times, if I had to guess, at minimum. Wow. This is yeah, the I'm second probably where Joel is three or four. Second time. Huh. I remember seeing it when it came out when I was at, I rented it once when I worked for the video store and then didn't watch it until now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So for for those of you that have seen it multiple times, is this like a favorite? What is this? Yeah, it's just a fun movie. I mean my, my parents liked it and it was, you know, something that the whole family could sit and watch, you know. I mean, way to endorse, you know, Prostitution with extra steps. I guess. <laughs> That's just prostitution with extra steps. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's a favorite per se, but if it's one if it's one of those things that comes on, mm. uh, I wouldn't turn it off. I don't own it, um, but every time I've watched it, I've I've enjoyed it. It's just despite, and I like because it, it was about the the geek get you know getting the head cheerleader girl. Yeah, it's kind of a less rapey Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> um, Everything is a less rapey revenge of the yeah, But I mean, there's there's parts of it that, despite the overtones of what his plan is, it's still really cute. It's funny. It's got a good soundtrack. I mean, it's just an enjoyable teen flick. Yeah, I would call this middle of the pack. There's this whole category of 80s films that are variations on the same theme. You got the high school teen comedy with some romance. Uh, the thing that distinguishes this for me is it introduced the phrase nerd herd ah, yes. <laughs> into the lexicon. Really? Yep. This is where it came from. Huh. Well, I've... you know, one, one of the things that I think um, sets it apart a little bit is there's a little bit more of the innocence in the main character. It's not like he's, you know, trying to buy her for sex or anything. I mean, it's completely innocent what he's trying to do. Yeah. Uh, completely. Eh. It's a little fucked up. Well, but I mean, I think his initially when he goes in there to give her the money to buy the dress, his heart's in the right place. Like, yeah, he, he didn't he didn't understand, right. I think, at that point that it was even going to lead to him getting lucky. No, I think he, he wasn't trying to get lucky through this. His sure. He wanted to help. But then he's like, well, maybe I can use this to my advantage. But I don't think it was in any sort of nefarious purposes. He just knew he wanted to be popular. Right. Not yeah. like they, they didn't. Spell it out like they did in the new one, which we'll get to. But well, I yeah. was going to say the like you said the him approaching her in the store to to pay for the new dress was le- I agree with you was less. If I do this, she'll 
you know, I'll have sex with this girl versus, you know, I just want, I mean, cause that was, that was his whole conversation with the friends beforehand was like, this is the senior year of high school. And what's, you know, what do we have to remember? But you notice he didn't join in on that conversation. He wasn't mm-hmm. talking about, you know, wanting to, wanting to get lucky. Hmm. Well, and just when they're out at the, um, right before they have the conversation about the breakup the next day and she's, you know, getting emotional and feeling that, that moment before she expects him to kiss. And it's clear that sex is the farthest thing from his mind. <laughs> yeah. That, it never occurs to him once at the beginning of the film that she might actually be getting like into him. And I think that's one of the reasons that I, I do like this, despite kind of what people may take away from it with his plan is that he never, it was never his ultimate goal ever. No, he just wanted to be liked. Yep. You know, he just wanted I, to experience popular life. Mm-hmm. And look where it got him. Now, I know that you guys had said uh, when Josh brought this to the table that it was not a shot-for-shot remake, but the, the script was basically just tweaked a little. Otherwise, it's entirely intact. Is this based on anything prior to this, or was this an original story? Like, I mean, was it a short As far story? as I know, this was not adapted from anything. This was just a script written in that time where this was a big deal. Like you still have teen comedies, but it feels to me, this might be inaccurate if you go back and check the tape, but it feels to me like there was more of these teen romantic comedies in the eighties than there are now. Oh, there totally was. I mean, this, I mean, this sort of time you've got him in this, and then you have him in Loverboy. Remember where he's delivering the pizzas. No, yep. I remember the, the movie, the title, but I don't didn't know the plot. Yeah, it was it was him him also it was Patrick Dempsey again, and this is let's see, this is eighty nine. Uh, that it was a little more overt that one. Yeah. yeah, and then some kind of wonderful was a couple years later. Eric Stoltz, Mary Stuart Masterson got pretty in pink. Sixteen Candles. I mean, there was this whole Flamingo what's that? Flamingo Kid. Flamingo Kid. Well, and you could even throw in some of the more uh, One Crazy Summer. Sideways ones, right? Like One Crazy Summer, Better Off Dead. Um, you know, the ones that are a little bit more out there, but still so the any- basic premise. And the only reason I asked is that thinking about things like 10 Things I Can Hate About You or, you know, something where it's adapted from Shakespeare or, you know, some other source material. This is another telling of, you know, the Iliad. <laughs> it just, it well, it felt like in, <laughs> maybe it had some other original <laughs> what you are such an idiot this, this is an updated beowulf yeah. right <laughs> exactly what you you see the the uh the lawnmower the, is the Gilgamesh. Were, were like grendel yes and the lawnmower is gilgamesh there's actually a 20 minute director's cut where they have his head underwater it's a little <laughs> bit more clear there well, i do remember the scene where seth green is passing out cookies so you know very tolkien-esque I do guess. <laughs> Mamo. <laughs> you watch. So watch. Well, and the other thing that this movie uh, kind of stands out a lot is because of that anteater dance. Yeah. Everybody remembers the anteater thing. I mean, that was in talking about the movie. Those things, I was like, oh, I remember that. It's like, remember the movie where they're doing the stupid dance? Oh, yeah. yeah the anteater dance. Yeah. <laughs> And when the nerds are over there, and that's a, such a yeah, they all recognize it immediately. That's, mm-hmm. that's probably the best joke in the movie, in my opinion. No, you're 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 right. It is the best joke in the movie because there's such a setup for it. <laughs> but I I want to talk a little bit about little bitty Seth Green. 
And his crooked, weird-looking teeth. Yes. And how he hangs out in the back of the car all the time, apparently. (laughs) I'm sorry. I really think he was funny. He's always been funny. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm impressed by by the fact that he is this, you know, two and a half, three foot tall thing that's out there just like the very beginning of his career. And he's rather entertaining through the entire thing. This was like his third studio film. He he has he's one of the child stars that's an uber winner. Yeah. Like even above the winners, he's like he went from uh, this to without a paddle. Hey, we all agree. Without a paddle was really funny. Actually, it was. I don't know why. That's the only that's one of the now first from the pop of my head. Why? Because it's really funny. But no, I mean you. I agree with you that this is one of the movies from the '80s that had that. Like you said, the teen comedy, it was innocent on the, on, like we joked about before, on the other side of the spectrum is super rapey Revenge of the Nerds. Or Porky's. Porky's. Jeez. Which, Porky's, though, I watched that about a year and a half ago, and it is not the movie I remember. It, it, it's, that's for another show, but it's a very poignant coming-of-age movie, believe it or not. See, Bob Clark. Porky's in my head, head, it's all dicks through walls. Well, there is that scene, but there's everything else that encompasses the rest of the film. That that uh, you're trying to tell me, like the the howling Kim Cattrall scene is pointing. Watch it again. I swear to God, if you haven't watched it in a decade, watch it again and come back to me when you have. But anyway, can't buy me love. Yes, far less dicks. (laughs) Definitely not a Porky's. Yeah, no dicks at all. Yeah, him trying to walk and act when he he turns into cool guy. (laughs) Holy crap. I, I, you kind of wonder why people bought it, but I guess that was kind of the point is that anybody can be manipulated. If all, all they had to be told was he is cool. And that was good enough. Yeah. He went yeah. from geek to chic. That's all. That's all it takes. You know, coolness is really nothing. It's just, you know, that's kind of the, kind of the, the point. I think yeah. anybody can be cool as long as they have a pith helmet. Well, and, and just as easily as it's given, it's taken away just as quickly. One bad incident and you're, a leper. You're a social leper, as she said. Although it did, and both of these films had the moment that it sounds like a fake story on the internet, and then I was given a $100 bill, and everyone stood up and started clapping. Ooh, right. And <laughs> that man's name was Albert Einstein. But, you know, all in all, despite everything, it does have a good message, and the fact that he does win the day is its a kind of a feel-good, it's a nice ending. Well, I mean, you really, by the end of the movie, you really actually care for both of them find out she's not you know some conceited bitch and he's just you know been the, the guy all along that he was trying not to be yeah it's kind of like pretty in pink too justice for ducky <laughs> <laughs> poor ducky get into some of those themes more in the the remake um you, you know originally uh she got together with ducky at the end and they reshot the ending yep really yep yeah if people felt it was less honest she wouldn't end up with ducky wow Right? I didn't know that. Now i got to watch it again. Bring us down a little bit. But in this one, the geek gets the girl. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll pour one out for Ducky later. And he gets his gets a point across to everybody and kind of unites people, at least for a day. See, that's the thing. Okay, I'm, we're going to talk a little bit more about the contrast between the poignant scene from then to now. But this scene for this one, where he, had, where he interacts, well, not interacts, but intervenes, right when his friend's about to get his ass kicked for sitting on the wrong side of the uh, lunchroom, but making the point where he's 
you, him, and I all used to be friends, and we, when you broke your arm, we carried you to the hospital to get it fixed. There was a connection between everybody. It was a small enough town where everybody could remember what they were like when they were in, grade, or in middle school together and how far separated they had all become. I, I actually liked that because it wasn't it, it wasn't a, everyone here is just trying to be themselves. Let us all be themselves and not have to deal with this popularity crap. It was, we used to be friends, what happened? Which is a legit question that, I mean, I'm, you know, at one point or another, everybody has asked of people. Well, and if you lived in that kind of community, you saw that actually happen. Yeah. That's, that's not a, a fable. That, that, that was true and happened to a lot of people. You know, but we'll, I mean, we'll get more into the the themes, I think, in the second half when we compare them for sure. Because mm-hmm. despite there being literally the exact same dialogue in, in half the film or more, it's a very, very different movie. Yeah. So you, you got Josh, Joel, I mean, Josh and Pat, you like the ending? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I... Well, I'm sorry. On ending, I mean, do you like the the point scene? Oh, that? Yeah. Nah, it's a little cringy. It, it's a little contrived, but I mean, the whole movie is going for sappy and feel good. So I, I'm willing to give it a pass considering it fits in the genre. And I also think that back then we could have accepted that ending a lot better than us all sitting post 40 with angst and cynicism on our shoulders. You know, back then, 1987, we watched it and be like, yeah, we just want to be friends like we used to be. Oh, I did love it back then. It just you know it it, it it would have been better without the the slow clap for sure. Yeah, the slow clap is always cringy. <laughs> if any Hollywood directors are listening out there, please never do the slow clap. Yeah, stop then, with that shit. And then you've got the two of them riding off into the sunset on the mower, which True. is cute. Yeah, yeah. It's a very '80s kind of cutesy ending. True. You know yeah, what movie nice. did the slow clap really well? It's a, it's a now, but not another teen movie. Schindler's List. God wow. damn it! That was my joke. <laughs> You got there first. <laughs> um, I should not have been muted so I could vape. Not, not the one I was thinking of. Yeah, me either. But not another teen movie. I haven't seen it. What? I don't think I have either. It's been a long time. I've seen it, but it's another one a while. with Dan and Elizabeth as the lead. Uh, it's the one with Captain America in it. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. one thing. But there's there, there's a running gag to the entire movie that there's one kid who's just trying yeah. to do the slow clap and he always misses it. <laughs> it's like if somebody else does it in the very end of it, like he tries to do the slow clap and right before his hands hit, somebody else kicks in. It's there's the running gag to the whole movie that I thought was great because they they call out the slow clap being as cheesy as it is. A trope of these films. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah. Huh. Any tropes in this that you saw? The movie? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, the whole thing is <laughs> one giant... I, I don't know if it established the cliché or just continued an existing cliché. The nerdy young brother, that's one. I like, it's not like a real popular one. The kind of clueless but sweet parents. I, you know, I do have to say, that station wagon that the dad had, I would <laughs> drive that any day of the week. Tic-tac-tile. That, I don't even care if tic-tac-tile is on the sides. I'd drive that thing. That makes it even more kitschy. Yeah, man. People could be like, hey, it's from that movie with the African anteater dance in it. <laughs> Porkies? There was no African anteater. I want to believe. <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it was exactly what it was supposed to be. It was lighthearted cotton candy popcorn movie. Yes. 
Yeah, and it's not, it wasn't particularly, it wasn't so cheesy, it was awful, but it was cheesy enough to be like, yeah, that was terrible, but you know what, it wasn't, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. You shit on my house! That's a great line. <laughs> well, that's like the darkest movie, or darkest point in the movie is kind of that bit between them, but yeah. even yeah. then, the whole movie overall doesn't ever get, like, too depressing or dark. That was a that was an kind of an awful scene too when he kept when he traps him and he's like sees it was his former best friend. Yeah, that was rough. I think the jocks were a hundred percent super trope. This is exactly what jocks were in the eighties. Oh, for sure. Uh, I, I'm actually on the TV tropes page for Can't Buy Me Love. Mm-hmm. And yeah, jerk jock is one of the big ones. Uh, uh, provides examples of a party, also known as an orgy. <laughs> Which is huge in high school movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, acquired situational narcissism. I'm not going to go through the whole page because there's a ton of these. Just uh, pulling some of the the big ones out here. If you take the tropes, copy paste them into a like a word reorganizer, you get the whole uh, script. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and the other thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not. It's not the time. It's not the time. Um. But no, I one thing I don't Patrick, maybe I'll have to default to you on this one. Did parties like that even exist in high school? Yes. Okay, good. We just weren't invited to them. I know. Yeah, I'm like, because I wasn't invited to any of that shit. <laughs> I was too busy playing. Yeah, I went I went to plenty Nintendo. of parties. I mean, I was I was like the, the hybrid nerd jock, so I got to go to plenty of parties, but they still had uh yeah, there was some raunchy shit that happened in some of them. But they weren't. It wasn't like a you know once a month. I mean, it, you, there was probably like three a year, really big blowout parties like that. Okay. It wasn't a constant thing like you know, this weekend where's the party? Well, where's the party next weekend? It wasn't. That yeah, big. that's something that that shows up in these movies a lot. Is yeah. every weekend there's some ridiculously huge house destroying party. Yeah. Well, a lot of times that's the focal point of the film. That's the kind of the, the climax. Uh, you know, the the. Well, sometimes it's the climax. Sometimes it's the the bit that gets the whole ball rolling. Mm. Uh, like um, bit balls. Uh, can't can't hardly wait. It's a good example of kind of there's a party at the beginning that drives things forward. But never seen that. I need to see that. Oh, it's a great movie. Isn't Seth Green in that too? Yep. Yeah. Ah, it's a good one. So uh, can't buy me love. There you go. Yeah, I was gonna say like. It's hard to just like go over the main plot points because this same plot, if you have seen any 1980s teen comedy, you've pretty much seen this movie. Now, can you? Well, here's here's a question: Is it is it the generator of it, or is it the is it a copy of another one? Were there was there another trope of the guy bribing the girl into something? Well, I mean, that's the twist that they put on this. Okay. That, that's the only thing that differentiates it from whether you're talking pretty in pink or any of the other big 80s teen romantic comedies. Yeah, it's, they got to have their, their hook. Mm. What what makes this different from the other ones? Because all the plot points, the beats, everything are very similar, but this is the, the hook for this one. Like 16 Candles had an incredible racism. You know, that was its shtick. Oh, Long Dong Duck. Long Duck Dong. Long Duck Dong. I keep wanting to mention know. License what's to Drive, about but that? I haven't seen it in a while. Huh? What, what's racist about Long Duck Dong? <laughs> keep forgetting you're from Texas. <laughs> okay. 
Say what you want about that, but the whole scene with him in the tree, hey, very sexy girl, was pretty damn funny. Oh, sexy girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's high comedy. Yeah. Breakfast activities, Mickey Rooney shit. That's, that's just gold. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Oh, we need a break, I think. Yeah, I think we do. So after uh, we're gonna take a little break. Uh, go find someone to. Uh... I need an adult. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm gonna go get a rope. <laughs> Jeez, that's kind of extreme, but. <laughs> no, so we're, we're back to this weekend, are we? Old El Paso. <laughs> All right, so we'll be back in a little bit where we're going to talk about Love Don't Cost a Thing. Yeah, that's going to be great. I've had the Jennifer Lopez song stuck in my head all week. I got a beep, beep. I got a whoop, whoop. I don't know the lyrics. (laughs) That's not the song. I know, but that song has been stuck in my head, damn it. Let's go to break. Beep, beep. All right, we are back, and uh, yeah, we're going to talk about 2003, when they made Love Don't Cost a Thing. That's some bullshit. What? It Love costs a lot. Well. It does. Well, I mean, well, I guess I guess maybe we'll find out. There was a... Cost him $1,500. I know, man. That's... Inflation. Yeah. All right, so this is an American team comedy. Again, a remake and in some cases, a straight-up copy-paste of the 87 film we just went over, Can't Buy Me Love, about a high school loser who pays a cheerleader to pose as his girlfriend so he can be considered cool. So, yeah. 2003, directed by Troy Beyer. Uh, known for such other classics as I Really Hate My Ex, John Q, and The Making of Love Don't Cost a Thing. no i mean she's been an actress in 33 she's got 33 things for acting going all the way back to uh, knots landing but um she did let's talk about sex love don't cost a thing south of nowhere and i really hate my ex um yeah starring herself so directed and starring herself i'm sure that's fantastic hey it's a guaranteed job yeah true I'm going to write and direct. All right, so this stuff, uh, written by Michael Swerdlick, which uh, did the screenplay for the original Can't Buy Me Love, Troy Beyer, and one more credit. Whoop. And Michael Swerdlick. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Damn it. Screw you, IMDb. All right, so this cast Nick Cannon as Elvin Johnson. I'm not going to say he was good. He was not as bad as I expected. I can go with you on that. I gotta say, for a dude that's known for being a handsome kind of suave guy, he played nerd pretty well. Yeah. Also has uh, Christina Milan as Paris Morgan. Who I always think of her from uh, uh, Be Cool. Oh, yeah. Oh. Couldn't think of the movie there for a second. Yeah. Then we've got Steve Harvey as Clarence, the dad. Al Thompson as Ted, Ashley Monique Clark as Aretha Johnson, Emily Nelson as Drew Hilton, Russell W. Howard as Anthony, Keenan Thompson as Walter. Man, Keenan Thompson is one of the funniest guys on the planet right now. He was 
probably one of the most redeeming things of this movie for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, when you're comparing one to the other, I consider Kenan Thompson versus Seth Green a wash. And this one, you get a bonus Cal Penn. So yeah. I give the supporting cast like thumbs up to this one over the original, mm-hmm. strangely. Yeah. A very uh, subdued Cal Penn. Yeah, very subdued. Uh, Melissa Schumann is Zoe Parks. And Nicole Robinson is Yvonne Freeman. Reagan Gomez Preston is Olivia. Sam Sarpong as Kadeem. Vanessa Bell Calloway as Vivian Johnson. And Nicole Scherzinger, Scherzinger as Champagne Girl. Pussycat doll. Yep. The head pussycat. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, singers who are dabbling in acting in this. Okay. So, yeah. So there it is. Trivia. This school series scenes were filmed at Long Beach Polytechnic High School in Long Beach, California. No magnets in this one. <laughs> How do they work? Yeah. Fucking magnets. It's magic, man. It's a miracle. The film has received mostly negative reviews, with 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the consensus being a stale, unnecessary remake of Can't Buy Me Love. Roger Ebert, film critic of the Chicago Sun-Times, gained the film a positive three-star rating after giving the original Can't Buy Me Love only half a star. What? Ebert describes the remake as a wiser and less cynical than the original and suggests that it might have some insight into the insecurities of high school. I can't totally disagree with that. Yeah, I, I, I do think that there were some interesting decisions they made in the remake. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, to give this one three stars and then give the original half a star? I, yeah, I think I have more of an issue with his original review than I do with a three-star review for this. Yeah. But consider that he probably reviewed it in 1987 um, and was comparing it against other things at the time. Right. Like Porky's. Seriously, dude. Watch no, it. I think Joel's got a good point there. Is where uh, "Can't Buy Me Love" was compared against all the other teen comedies of the 1980s. This was basically compared to "Can't Buy Me Love." Right. True. Which probably boosted its score in his mind. Which is, you know, kind of one of the fun things about this show is that we're not comparing it against like-minded films of the same era. We're comparing it against something, you know, 20, 30 years later. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so that's the end of the trivia. Is this there was a f- not much to be found. Yeah, I can't see that this would have a heck of a lot. Um, was this a first watching for any of us? Yep. yep. It was for me, yes. Yes, I guess a first time for all of us. Well, I think until Josh brought it to our attention, I don't think any it was on any of our radars. I mean, we probably had seen the posters for it or trailers at some point, but... Not at all. Just kind of came and went. Yeah, did not even know this movie existed until Josh brought it up, and I will blame you for that for the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The first thing that jumped out at me, both films are named after popular songs. One film used the popular song of the title in the movie. I I didn't hear the J-Lo song at all. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Such a weird decision. Wonder if they couldn't get the licensing for it, or whether they just truly is Superman for the quest for peace. Sorry, mm-hmm. the Family Guy reference that nobody got. Never mind. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that was the first thing that jumped out at me as I was thinking. Okay, well maybe they'll do it in the closing credits. Nope. Huh. Yeah, I I don't know why. I was hoping the trivia would shed some light on that, but nope. Just decided not to use it for reasons. Well, I mean. 
maybe they just they were looking for a catchy title. This song's popular now. Let's throw that in as a title, and maybe we'll get some viewers. Eh, maybe. Yeah, just just a baffling decision to not actually use the song. Maybe, maybe it was more expensive to license the whole song and not just the title. That could be a thing. I mean, that. that yeah. I'm. I'm. Love don't cost a thing, but the song does. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the big differences, because in a lot of cases, script-wise, there are some updates. But this is basically the exact same movie. And as Joel pointed out last week in our conversation, there are several portions of this movie that are literally cut and paste Yeah, from the original. Uh, and when Josh had mentioned that when he first heard about it... Um, oh, sorry, Josh. No, I no, was fine. paying attention to the dialogue, and yeah, there were... Uh, it wasn't the entire thing, but there were sections where it was word for word the exact same lines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the whole scene about, you know... Where you sit. Go to the right, yeah, assholes go to the left. Yeah. Blah, blah. That was the biggest, you know, example. You- well, I mean, other than this is a African-American movie, changing, you know, that whole thing over. Sure, uh, yeah, and they are going for a stronger connection to things in the black community, making it more about hip hop. And uh, of course, basketball is the relevant sport. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also have Paul Harvey in this one being the creepiest Harvey. fucking father I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Definitely not Paul Harvey. It was not. <laughs> now you know. Did I say Paul no, Harvey? That's yeah. Shit. <laughs> that would be even creepier. Just this dead dude sitting in the other room. <laughs> Is <laughs> an old man on his on a, on a microphone. Paul, oh, have a conversation with him. <laughs> the they head, did head falls off. They did bring Sorry, out the Steve Harvey a lot. I think probably because it was Steve Harvey. Yeah, um, they, you could tell there was a lot of stuff written just for him to ham up. Yeah, which yeah, for sure. I found him to be rather funny. I mean, not everything landed, but there were quite a few bits with him in it that I found entertaining. Although the conversation with the condoms was a little, awkward. which one the, f- where he brings in the box and his, the first, first the first one where he had him wrapping up and wrapping up the bottle. Yeah. All the condom I, discussions. We'll were go with both friends. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I found when he replaced the thing with the big bottle, that, that one got me to laugh out loud. Yeah. That was pretty funny. And I don't know. They tried to give him a pretty consistent character, and I'd say they succeeded. And this guy that is like all wrapped up in what his high school experience was about, all about getting laid and being cool. And his son's a nerd. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing is being into like Al Green, Love Machine kind of stuff. And this is what he's always wanted for his son. He's like, this is my moment. I get to do what I've always wanted to do and I've never been able to and never will again because his other kid's a girl. Right. But the nice thing about that, though, that kept it from being too over the top for me was at the end when he came back around and, you know, he said, I I was a popular kid. I wasn't smart. I didn't have what you have. And, you know, it was this nice kind of fatherly moment that showed, you know, he really did love his son and he just got wrapped up in the moment just as much as his son did, which... I yeah. thought it was a nice touch. Yeah. I, and the, the whole switch of what he's spending the money on, the stakes are a little higher in this one because it's not just a telescope. Right. He's got $1,500 to complete an engine that's probably going to determine quite a bit of his future. Mm-hmm. That was a huge upgrade from the original. I mean, telescope is one thing. You're a free ride through college. Is comp- I mean, that's not just $1,500. That's for, for 100 grand right there. 
who he's probably going to not have any other means to go to college. Right. I mean, yeah, his parents aren't poor, but they're, uh, the point is made that they're also not well off. He didn't have a dad who could buy him stuff. Well, and there was that it gives that line a lot more weight when he's in the car with Christina Milian and and she finds out that he spent the money that he was supposed to use for college. And he gives a speech about how, you know, um, I got the it, rest of my life. This is my last year, my last uh, semester of high school. Right. You only do this once. And it, it put a lot more weight behind that little exchange that did, the first one didn't have. But, but that's again, I mean, I, I think that's pretty decent writing on the on, on the fact, you know, like that that's a teenager's thought process and that kind of thing. It's like, this is my life. This is everything right now. And I, you know, you know, the inability to think about, you know, how you're affecting your future because you're so into the moment you're in right now that this is this is the most important thing that's ever happened to me. Well, and before I forget, can I just see if anybody else had the same problem. I think the biggest issue I had with this movie and probably the only issue I really had overall was that there was no wrapping up of the, the friend storyline. Like the movie ends. We never find out if, you know, the, the car gets him his scholarship or if, you know, the friends just kind of disappear and there's, there's no closure on that anecdote. I think what happened with that is that it just ran out of steam. I think that's that's exactly why we got the kiss to shut you up when I'm talking about you know at the end where she's like oh I've been lying to myself this whole time and you know just you know just kisses him kisses her at that because I think she ran out of words in doing the script and then re- realizing we're already an hour and a half into this I got to close this quick so that's I mean that's why we got no I mean and we kind of got with the friends we kind of got a little bit of closure I mean then suddenly the you know, because the, he stands up to the one bully, and uh, uh, Kenan Thompson puts the the kid into a headlock, and then suddenly the two girl, the two uh, cheerleaders appear next to them. Yeah, that was kind of that was cringy. Lame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once again, that's the and everybody stood up and clapped moment. But yeah. I kind of liked that they flipped the script a little bit and completed closing off that little mini arc, where showing that his friends came back around for him now that he pulled his head out of his ass. Yeah, I like I I did like that that they do. But the fact that come you know, all three him. of them a girl came and sat next to him was a little much. Well, two of them at least. Yeah, the third one had a tranny. But well, what about the That's not a bad thing for some people, you know? Well, he looked a little kind of despondent, but what about the fact that there wasn't wow. like a oh, there goes Lucy. There wasn't like a best friend angle. It was like there were his three friends, even though Cal Penn ultimately played the role of the friend that he, you know, had known since grade school or whatever. See, but, that's the thing I was waiting for through the entire movie was the you shit on my house scene. Well, and I think that some of that stuff that they skipped was to the movie's credit. It moved stuff along to the same pay, uh, place and it, helped the pacing a little bit i wasn't bored in either of them but uh i didn't miss the extra time that was cut Mm. but also i don't think that's something that kids do nowadays i don't think you know kids are egging houses and tping houses and shitting on houses and what have you i don't think that's happening much anymore most of the bullying has gone to online sure that makes sense you know what's funny is that love don't cost a thing is about 15 minutes longer than can't buy me love really interesting well i mean there's probably 20 minutes of extra Steve Harvey. Well, Dad said <laughs> yeah. three things in the original. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I noticed that there were a bunch of the scenes missing. And the only thing that I felt suffered at all is their relationship w- was sort of rushed. Even uh, it was a month in the original. It was two weeks in the remake. And uh, there were fewer scenes of them together. Yeah, it made less sense in this version why she fell for him. Right. Mm-hmm. There were some really nice moments, like her and the guitar. Awesome scene. It was and they a, threw in the one scene of her, like you know, catching a side glance at him, you know. Yeah. But they didn't really, ha- they didn't really have much chemistry. No. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that either as much. And the fact that she ended up falling for him, almost based on the fact that he was being the dickhead that she was creating, mm-hmm. was a little sideways. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the thing that kind of aggravated me was, you know, her in the first conversation they have about. Um, how to attract girls. Well, you act like you don't need any women at all, and that's how they're going to attract you. And he starts acting like that, and then she gets all mad at him. It's like you literally told him what to do in this situation, and now don't that he's... Mad at Godzilla when he eats the town. That's what he does. Yeah. That's what you trained him to do. You trained him. You told him to do this. He's doing exactly what you told him to do, so why are you mad at him? Well, and I think some of that is... She is coming on me. Well, she's also coming off of a pretty abusive, emotionally abusive relationship. And all of a sudden she's like, I like this guy and the shit is happening again. But you never get that that great. I mean, you you had the guitar scene, but to me in the original, when he reads her poetry, poetry and talks about, you know, that whole interaction that they have was much more believable that that was kind of a turning point where she realized that he was this guy that she could be with and that she cared for. And I never got that real scene like that. I mean, the guitar scene was nice, but it was, there was never that moment. I kept waiting for that moment. I, I agree. And I think that was a case of, they ended up rushing through the montage of their relationship and they didn't like while their individual performances were fine. I will agree with, I think it was Patrick who said uh, they didn't have a whole lot of chemistry together. I, I bought them as the characters more than I bought them as having a relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. I don't think he earned the right to chew her face off at the end of the movie. Is that how it happened? <laughs> it looked like he was trying to. Turned into a zombie movie. Did you not watch the post credits? No. Yeah, Pat I... turned it off and started watching Predator. <laughs> <laughs> he fell asleep at the end and it just moved into the next movie. Now, what about the dance scene at the beach? Uh, that was the original i pers- i think that was shoehorned in because they had it in the original and they had to have something for this one it felt very stilted like the dancing itself was fine the change to an exercise video that is very obviously an exercise video yeah the 800 number that says exercise now on it was definitely the big giveaway in that scene and all the high kicking and whatnot, it's like, there is no way I believe this guy is falling for this. I, I yeah. believed the accidental, this kind of looks like it could be the end of American Bandstand, more mm-hmm. than the, he comes back and doesn't notice it's an exercise video. It was a little clunky. Yeah. And Steve Harvey was creepy up until the very end. <laughs> Though, Okay. Steve Harvey is creepy. I don't know if you've ever watched any interviews with him. And on on this point, the whole scene with him and the wife, where they're barking and meowing at each other, yeah. that got that weird. Yeah, yeah and the, I, I thought that was pretty funny. It was funny, but at the same time, I'm like, 
in the last scene, the daughter was sitting not ten feet away from them. Yeah, I did yep. think about that at one point. <laughs> like, but, I, but uh, my my main problem was I was like, like if, how can you ever want to get it on to the song Reasons? It's a, such a horrible, horrible song. Yeah, that was a terrible <laughs> song. Yeah, Earth, it's like Earth, Wind, and Fire has a much, much better catalog than to go with that song. Well, I've never liked that song. Speaking of the 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 sister, she was heavily underutilized. Not that she was anybody that I really cared to see what she was going to do, but they almost like wrote that character out or at least toned it down drastically. Like the, the his oh versus the Seth Green version. Yeah, I mean the fact is is she's just no Seth Green, so they had to had to make her a little bit more direct, a little bit more malicious. And uh, a little less heartwarming gave her a hell of a lot less screen time. I I did think, (laughs) though, (laughs) that the the scene where she's like, at first I was going to blackmail him. Then I realized he ain't got nothing I want. Yeah. But I'm just telling you guys because this is what's going on. So, I mean, it was her, her character was wasn't terrible, but it was necessary to bring the uh, clueless parents to what was going on. She had to be the everyman explaining what was going on to the parents. Right. She had to have the, uh, what what do they call it? The uh, all all adults are stupid thing. Yeah. And if her character doesn't exist, the parents never figure it out because Mm -hmm. they don't live in that world. And then we have a really kind of depressing ending because his future is ruined. True. Um, But we don't know. What do you mean we don't know? Whether or not, you mean as far as if he gets the scholarship? See, I mean, well, that's... it's 100% ruined if he doesn't get the engine in. Yeah, right. He at we least has the part. In script-wise. But. but it can be assumed that uh, he got the scholarship. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of... They, they don't even need to tell you. Right. Basically, if he gets the camshaft in, he gets the scholarship. Mm-hmm. That was the, the camshaft was the um, the mulligan. Not the mulligan. What am I thinking of? Uh, the MacGuffin. MacGuffin in this. That's the big thing that he needed for his his future to fit and everything be awesome is to get get that piece. And once he got that piece, you knew the rest of his college thing would have been great. Is going My to be great. My book is a sack full of money. That mine too, right? <laughs> they, they could have shown him getting the scholarship, but it does. That's not really germane to the plot. True. Another well, question. Just, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say it was just such a big part of it that to just leave it hanging felt. A little unfinished, but what were you saying, Mike? I was going to say, how does the basketball game roll where one player can stop an entire game just to go up into the stands to beat up somebody? Yeah, I was wondering, where are all the adults at any point during all that? For sure. Well, the ref, even. You know, that's a ground. Any adult like, should be like, uh, you're not going to act like this. This is criminal behavior. Yeah. yeah you, you, you are being ejected from the game and possibly from school. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I think, was a continual thing. Because really, you think about it, the only parents that we saw, I mean, compared to the, you know, the first one, the only, parents, only adults that we saw were the parents in this one. And in the previous one, there were at least a male and female uh, teachers at the school that kind of kept things under control. Yeah, like we're chaperoning the dance and everything. The guy's talking about going and checking out the bathrooms and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the, yeah, it just seemed like like the entire time he's in that game, I'm like, where's even the coach? Like, no, no one is gonna like, do anything about this. <laughs> no one's gonna. Oh well, he's the captain of the basketball team. You know, yeah. he can do what he wants. <laughs> it did feel a little bit like that. And like, why why are you going to let the guy on the you know be like 
I get to reserve the, the 12 seats right behind the bench. Those are my lucky seats. And no one can sit in them. Like, fuck you. Yeah. You're a high school kid. Like, <laughs> You're not even the most popular one either. Right. Now, to credit of to the credit of the screenwriter, he wrote a script that Shit. could be used in the 80s and in the modern era. And it still works in both cases. Yeah, he basically had to reapply a coat of paint and write some scenes for Steve Harvey, and he got paid twice. Well, good on him, man. That That's a credit to, you know, having a story that uh, kind of t- takes on a life of its own. You know, like a lot of the movies we talk about, whether it's literal remakes rather than just, you know, this movie is similar to that movie, so we're going to talk about it. If the story is strong enough and the characters are there, it doesn't matter when you tell it, it still has the same resonance and, you know, Credit to him. I mean, it, it still told the same story, just to a different audience. Mm. The NBA player uh, boyfriend versus the uh, college football player boyfriend, that that got even a little darker. That got yeah. okay, Go ahead. manipulative. Well, yeah, because in the original, when the college boy comes back to the party, he uh, wants to be Mr. Big Nuts and is annoyed that a nerd... <laughs> is now the big man on campus, but he's like, hey, my legacy's secure. This guy's not that big a deal. He didn't nail the captain of the cheerleading squad, and all of his buddies are like, well, about that. And that's what kicks everything off. In this one, it's similar, but he's just like, you know, I've been cheating on my girlfriend, but she wouldn't dare. It's me. She's not going to uh, uh, date anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then they find out that she did and he just goes ballistic and at the end he's yelling at her i'm your meal ticket yeah like holy shit dude yeah you're my you're my reserve girl for when i'm when i'm done type of thing you know i'm coming back to you because after i'm done partying i gotta have somebody well and then his his, her friends are you know talking about being the life of an nba all-star you know that's the best thing you can have in this life you know it's like what okay and I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but this movie was shot in the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, you could tell that a little bit. Yeah. Sean John, flip phones. You can tell that she was a rich family because she had a fax machine in her room for some reason. <laughs> you never know when you need a fax in all your, your medical history. I, You know, I that... 15-year-old. Of all the of all the weird questions that popped into my head about that one, I think this is the Forget one that the violations. Hit me. You know, I'm like, why? What? What high schooler, even in 2003, or even let's say 1983, would be like, I need a fax machine in my room just in case a friend sends me a fax? Because that happens. I'm just curious on the placement of that one single prop. Everything else I can deal with. Just why? Yeah, a little odd. Kind of strange. Like I said, she was big on HIPAA complaints. <laughs> her doctor could only fax directly to her and back. That was it. They hey, fax only. She took her medical health seriously. Much more seriously than Amanda Peterson. <laughs> wow. Yikes. <laughs> Shit got oh. dark. Yeah. Again. What do you think about the whole thing with the car? Uh, I definitely thought it was a more believable for the time setup for why she was panicking so much that she needed him to bail her out. For sure, yeah. Oh, I was talking about, about the car they were making. You're talking about the car versus the the station wagon. Yeah. No, talk, oh, I was talking about the car that got wrecked versus the outfit. No, Mike's talking about the car that they built. But let's let's go about that. Let's like the the 
the cause of this kicking in. Yeah, because it's funny that uh, the whole thing is a big setup for the original movie and outfit being ruined happens in chemistry class. And it's no big deal. Never referred to again in the remake. An outfit, uh, an expensive outfit is literally set on fire. Yeah, the Sean John. Oh, I didn't even oh, think Oh, yeah. That. So, I mean, they definitely wanted to make a point that it's like, yeah, this would not have been such a big deal in this place and time. So we're going to have to update this with a more situ- serious situation. You jacked up your mom's Escalade. Yeah. Which... And he spent the whole 1500 Yep. Not just a grand. Yeah. Didn't keep some back for dates. So, but what about the car, Mike? You were saying about oh, the other. Oh, I was going to say. What well, I mean, what do you think about the the guys building the car together? I I don't know. I mean, I'm like, if there were four guys in high school that were building a cl- rebuilding a classic car with a cup holder and dish, a laptop, <laughs> a laptop and dish rinser, I think. I don't know. I think that would have a soda gun. A soda gun, right? I mean, I. Would they really be that big of nerds? No, they would kind of be considered semi-cool. Yeah. I mean, if they could get anyone to talk to them in the first place. They're obviously in an uh, environment where basketball is king. True. And, like, designer clothes, which they can't afford. Like, they have, like, fake designer labels and fake designer emblems on their upholstery. So part of it is also, like, a rich kid, poor kid thing. Hmm. Yeah, when he this, when movie, this movie would probably be much different now. Oh, know, I agree. Yeah, as far as like you know the the levels of bullying and oh you know, yeah, clues and everything. Personally, I thought they this movie almost had a hard time deciding what kind of movie it was going to be because it kind of swung back and forth between uh, teen drama of dealing with popularity and what you have to do to retain popularity to the slapsticky Disney movie where the four heads pop out above the cor- around the corner looking at the popular kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there were even sound effects. <laughs> there was no... Yeah, there yeah, was, I was no... Say it was not as bad as the rollerball sound effect. Oh, God, that was ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, if you tried to do it now, it would be a lot trickier to navigate the halls of high school than it was at this point. And harder to shoot in the same format because so much of what went on would be on cell phones or uh, computer screens. So, like, you don't have these big scenes where it all happens in person. There are obviously still going to be dances and whatnot, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the, like, like the breakup would probably happen on Twitter. True. (laughs) Or Instagram. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and they wouldn't be faxing each other notes after school. Well, then there's also... And they'd be much more HIPAA compliant. (laughs) One of the other things that they they made a a big point of that we talked about in the first half that we were going to mention was when he asks her to, uh, you know, do the deal with him, he says several times, no sex. You know, that's not not what this is about. Which in the first one, it was never even... Never which, even talked about. Which is kind of confusing when you've got Dad throwing a shoebox. How, again, okay... Dad throwing a shoebox of condoms at you. How long were those condoms sitting in that box? I'm guessing he bought those thinking his son was eventually going to blossom and he was going to be able to give him 
uh, it's like, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to have the talk and going to get him set up the way I was. And it just never happened. And he just kept buying them and throwing them in the sad little box. So they're at least, at least four years old. Get to have the talk with him. And he had a condom ready for him and he just kept filling the box. So 17 years, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Ever since he was two. This is it. This is my son. He's a Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) And he's also a a smoker just like me. (laughs) Paul, he's got weird teeth. Harvey. Harvey? Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. (laughs) Yeah, in that box in the ground. Why do I keep saying Paul? (laughs) Steve Harvey. He's he's got big teeth. Yeah, he's got large teeth. And the whole very expressive face. Yeah. Oh, very expressive face. But I mean, the whole meowing and barking thing was that's funny. Off-putting. Off, funny, but funny, but like. <laughs> See, that's the thing. It's funny and off-putting. I agree with both of you. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was funny. It's one, one of the few things he actually made me laugh about in that whole movie. Harvey, Paul. I don't know the scene where he's out, the scene where he's outside of the, the window, <laughs> looking in the window at them having their conversation. I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I personally like when he told him that he doesn't live there anymore. When his friend, when the friend showed up. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't live here anymore. You guys gotta go. No, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Johnson, you're just messing with us. No, he's not here. Get up. And your dad's funny. Yeah. Looking. Aw. Not your dad. Oh. Well, a little bit. Dude, you wish you were as cool as his dad. You know shit. With that stash. How many people can pull off that mustache? Two. Not too many people, but he does. Him and Hulk Hogan. Oh my god, I cannot believe you made a parallel to my Hulk Hogan and my father. <laughs> oh sh- yeah, brother. And shit, you're right. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know, my father sports a Fu Manchu, so good on him. Uh, but no, I mean, it. between the two of them, if we go to thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, I, I don't want to say I gave a thumbs down to the well thumbs up for the first one but it was like yeah that's a you know I, I remember that being a a movie that was around when I was in high school you know like you said I've only seen it twice for the new one I maybe shouldn't have watched them one right after the other yeah that would probably be a little more time in between them might have helped yeah I mean it's just like I watched the original and then watched the you know the remake and it was just felt so shoehorned into it so it's definitely not a very uh, exciting movie, the, the remake, but it's I mean, it's serviceable. It's you know good for what it is. Yeah. So what's your thumbs up, thumbs down then, Mike? Well, thumbs up and thumbs sideways. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, neither of these. I'm not going to search out either of these movies. And honestly, I think if another situation is that I'm not going to. Oh, I'll just leave it on if it shows up in uh, on TV. But yeah, I. The second one, I just could not get into it. I just think that there was too... The acting wasn't awesome. Very well, ha- ham-fisted acting in that. Not see, saying the I first th- one was awesome, but... <laughs> well, I thought, see, I thought Nick Cannon was... I, I thought he did a good job playing the nerd and not necessarily going to that Revenge of the Nerds style of nerd. It was a but bit... he did go a little bit too far on the, when he was trying to be the cool guy. A yes. little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Which I thought was funny because he could have done that with the nerd, but he he played that a little more straight than the cool guy. But that I think was part of the character is that he, the guy didn't know he was portraying what he thought was cool. Sure, that's absolutely what he was going for. But even doing that, I agree with Patrick. He overdid it a bit. 
especially when he asked for when he drank the Sunny D and asked for his ghetto juice or something. Yeah, yeah, that scene was ridiculous because I mean, you're at home right now. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're not trying, you know. I think he was trying to show that he was losing his way a little bit, but also, you know, it, it was just too much. Yeah. So I guess for well for the original, I definitely a thumbs up. It's one of those that I'll probably watch again at some point. Um, for the new one, I I think it's not something I necessarily am going to want to see again, but I still think I'd give it a thumbs up because I think it handled the time period and the and the shift um, pretty well overall, and uh, it's not a bad not a bad remake i give them both a thumbs up simply because the only other option is a thumbs down and i don't think either one of them necessarily deserves a thumbs down so they get a mediocre thumbs up both of them yeah i think i'm pretty much where patrick is where i'm not enthusiastic about either thumbs up but i liked both movies Hmm. i'm not going to go out of my way to see either of them again but like i could appreciate each one for what it was and if either one of them comes on on cable or something i'm unlikely to get up and change it all right. Joel, mm-hmm. what are we talking about next week? Cheers. What? Nope. Cheers, he said. Cheers, yeah. We're talking about cheers next week. He tried to say shoes. I don't know why he <laughs> said it like he said it, but yeah. It's an old YouTube video. Uh, I, we, we didn't update but, the show notes. Yeah. No, I, I updated them, but I didn't re-update them. That was a problem. I got lost. So what, we're we'll doing, fix it in post. Yeah, what are we doing next week? I believe next week we're taking a week off. Yes, we're taking a week off, and then we're doing 12 Monkeys. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah, we'll be off next week. Next week we're talking about not one, not two, not seven, but 12 Monkeys. Indeed. That's what we're looking for. Yes. And if uh, you'd like to ask us any questions about love not costing a thing or why you wouldn't use a J-Lo song or why Joel's just going to be sitting alone in a room talking about cheers next week, you <laughs> give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. At 708-669-9727. Right. And if you'd like to know more about shoes, uh, you can wait a little while. We'll be doing a shoe show eventually. Eventually we will talk about shoes, but uh, older shows, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse, FM, NoonFM.com, all those fun places. Give us a call. Like Josh said, let us know what you want to see, and we will let you know what our big plan is for episode 250. At the end of the 12 Monkeys episode. Yes. Or, or maybe we even announce that next week since people don't get a show. Oh, oh, look at you. I'm always thinking. That's oh, why we brought you on. He's the, the idea, man. <laughs> wow. All right. So thank you for listening, and we will uh, talk to you in a couple weeks. You eat enough cheese, you'll be fighting for number two as well. <laughs>